0: Probably uh, one of the closest, if not the closest, friend to Jesus. One of the reasons we know this, we get a little hint from the way John refers to himself as the beloved disciple the disciple that Jesus loved. They had a very special relationship. It was so intimate and so close and so dear that John is the disciple who at the Last Supper is leaning his head, it's his reclining and leaning his head against the chest of Jesus. Uh, John would have been the disciple that had literally heard the heartbeat of God. He writes more than any other writer. He has more uh, books r- attributed to him in the New Testament than any other writer. He has more pages uh, than any. Uh, John is has written so much about Jesus and he especially in his Gospel, he wants you to see Jesus as powerful as the Messiah that you might believe in Him. But he also wants you to see Jesus as your friend. He wants you to... And one of the reasons we know this is because in John's Gospel, we have more interpersonal, one-on-one interactions with Jesus than any of the other Gospels. He wants you to see Jesus the way he sees Jesus. And so this story is so John-like. Because this story shows the heart of God in coming to someone like Mary Magdalene. And I hope it's an encouragement to you as it is to me. I know you're not supposed to have... I I don't know if you're... You're not really supposed to have favorite stories in the Bible. It doesn't sound very holy. But this is like one of my favorites. Because it's so unique, and it shows us what what God is like when we say God is love. And so we're going to look at three things today. The first is, who is Mary Magdalene? Who is this woman? Who is she? And then second, what did Jesus do for her and to her? And three, so what does that mean for you? To have Jesus' friend. You just sang it. So I'm guessing most of you believe that he's a friend? What a savior, what a friend. What does that mean? To have God goddess friend. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, uh, first point, has a lot of strikes against her. First being that she's a woman in the first century, which would have been a strike. We were born with two strikes. You were not considered equal with men. You did not have rights that men had. You did not have an identity. You did not have standing that a man had in the first century. You just didn't. That's why it's unique that Jesus, some of Jesus' earliest followers or even disciples were women. The way Jesus gave dignity to women because m- women, man and woman, are made in the image of God. So first she's a woman, but she's from a little town called Magdala. I had the opportunity four or five years ago to go to Israel. Maybe some of you have been there. And to go to Galilee. My favorite place to be in Israel was Galilee because that's where Jesus was born. That's where he, actually, he was not born there. He was born in Bethlehem. But he was raised in Galilee. It's the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and, and a lot of Galilee is still not very developed. And so you're, when I was there, you just see the hills and the, the lake. And Jesus was a country boy. It was a rugged place, hilly, kind of like parts of, of this part of Tennessee. Mary was from Galilee, too. She was from a little town called Magdala. That's why she's Mary Magdalene. She's Mary of Magdala. And when we were in Israel, I got to see the ruins of Magdala, and it is profoundly unimp- unimpressive. It was, like a, it was like a parking lot with a few stones in it. And our tour guide just sort of—we were just driving through. Magdala is not a place you stop, right? No, no T-shirt stands in Magdala, right? No little Jesus figurines in Magdala. And so we just drove through, and he said, "Oh, right here, on this, right here in this little sea of goat. Right here, this is this little area is mag- called Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from. Let's move on, right? Because it was—it wasn't noteworthy. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't." There wasn't anything special there. There wasn't anything, and you know what? If it, it was like that in the 21st century, it was like that in the first century too. It was it was nowhere. Galilee was despised. So it was a it was a nothing little town in the most despised region of Israel. So she's a woman from nowhere. She's a nobody from nowhere. But that's not the most important thing about her are even the most horrible thing about Mary Magdalene. We're told in Luke chapter 8 that, that she was a woman from whom seven demons had gone out. She was in Magdalene, a woman possessed by seven demons. Now, we see all kind of demonic activity in the first century. And if they, even if you struggle with, oh, what is going on as demonic activity? Maybe they're just misunderstanding this. What is it? Maybe it's just disease or a seizure or things like that. Now that's, they actually talk about those, the disease and demonic oppression as two separate things in the New Testament. And though we don't see that type of demonic depression, it was v- oppression, it was very present in the first century, and it was living hell. One of the, one of the, so we don't know the details of her demonic oppression, but we do know the type of demonic oppression that we see, like in the garrison demoniac, also in the Gospels. He was a man who had a legion of demons—that is, thousands. It was something like four to six thousand demons oppressing him. He he would howl day and night. He had superhuman strength, where he would break the chains. They would try to bind him with chains. He took off all his clothes so he would go around naked, screaming, cutting himself with rocks day and night. He was a lonely man and so we can only imagine that we don't have the details of Mary from Magdala. Her demonic oppression. She's the saddest woman in the world. She's at the She's in the middle of nowhere, and she's a woman, and she has no family. She has no friends. She has no one to love her. She would have been a walking nightmare. She would have been someone that people would have told ghost stories about. The children would have told stories about Mary and how scary and horrible. That's who who she would have been. You, You see what I'm saying? She's a throwaway person in the first century. And then one day, love came to town. One day, Jesus went to Magdala. And he goes there for one purpose. And that is to liberate this woman, the throwaway person. And it's just one one of innumerable liberations that Jesus did when He healed the sick and He cast out demons and He preached good news to the poor and He raised dead. Sometimes people misunderstand Mary Magdalene as being a prostitute. She's not a prostitute. There's some misunderstanding about that, and history kind of thinks of her as a prostitute. There's no evidence. The Bible never talks about her being She's worse. She's worse off. And Jesus had come in this world to set captives free. In fact, his first sermon that we have in Luke chapter 4, he said, I have come. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. I have come to preach good news to the poor. I, proclaim, I have come to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight for the blind to deliver. And so Jesus Christ, after He preached the sermon, He would go to places like Magdalene. He would go to places like Bethany. and He would go to places like all over the, 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 His region in Galilee and all in the south and around Jerusalem. And He would go and find the most throwaway people He could find to deliver them and to give them hope. That is exa- that's what He did. That's what He did all the time. He, he, he loved doing it. And so what does Mary do? She follows Him. Do you know that second, second to the mother of Jesus, Mary, that Mary Magdalene is the only one that experiences Jesus' public ministry? She follows Him. She actually takes care of Him she she and the other women cook for him they take care of all the money they she takes care of every single need she's one of his closest followers where else is she gonna where else is she gonna go she's the only one that second to the mother of jesus she's the only one of his followers that witnesses his 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 earthly ministry and all the wonderful things that he did and then his betrayal and his beating and his crucifixion where he is crucified naked in front of his enemies that that gamble for his clothes and she watches him draw his last breath and she's the only one that watches where he's buried. That's why she's back at this tomb in our story. And this is what really hits me. Why is it Mary is there by herself? Where else is she going to go? Jesus is her her life it's the, it, you let let this grip your heart the saddest story where else is this woman gonna go? Why is she all by herself? She's come to bring spices and she's come to bring Things for Jesus in His burial to take care of Him. She took care of Him in life. She's going to take care of Him in death. That's why she's at His tomb. Weeping. And the word here for weeping is not just Presbyterian crying, you know. No, guys, you're okay? I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. She's got something in my eye, right? But a gut-wrenching weeping, weeping, weeping. Who is Mary Magdalene? She is someone that adored Jesus. Adored Jesus. And now she thinks not only is He dead, His body has been taken by someone. That's what she thinks. So she asks the question twice. Where have you laid Him? Where have you put Him? She loves Him so much. Do you notice that she doesn't know it's Jesus because she thinks He's the gardener? She doesn't know. And she says, where have you laid Him? And she loves Him so much, I'll go get Him. A woman's going to pick a 33-year-old man's dead body up. I'll, I'll go get him. Tell me where you laid him. I'll go get him. So we go to our second point. What did Jesus do? There are two things that Jesus did. He delighted in her. In the second, he gave her hope. So we're on our second point. Jesus delights in Mary Magdalene. How do we know that? Well, here's the story. Go look back in your Bibles if you have them open. In verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over and looked to the tomb, and two angels in white, she saw them seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And then they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken my Lord away. She said, I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around. She saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? What is, who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and said, Rabbi. Now, I mean this with the utmost reverence, but if I were Jesus and I had been crucified under the hands of Pontius Pilate and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and all the most religious people of the day, the first place that I would want to go after I had been crucified and resurrected would be to Pontius Pilate. I would make a beeline to his house. Like, is Pontius Pontius in? You made a bad choice, Pontius Pilate. Because you, I'm not dead. But where does Jesus go? Of all the people that he could go see after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, of all the listen this of all the people that he could appear to, of all the people that he could appear to first, because when you appear to someone, when you tell, when you have really really good news you tell the person you love the most first. You want to tell the person you love the most first. When you have the best news, you want to give the person you love the most. That's what you do, right? And so of all the people he could have appeared to first, with the resurrection, it is the greatest news that has ever dawned, that has ever come upon the human race in this cosmos, the greatest news that life has been Broken into death and into this world, the greatest news ever, who is the very first person that he wants to see? It is Mary from Magdala. That's not coincidence, y'all. It's not just because like he, oh, you're the first person here. Well, good news, I'm alive. That's not what he does. He wanted her to be the very first person to see his risen self. So what does that mean? It means he delights. He delights in this woman. What does it mean to delight in something or delight in someone? The Bible talks a lot about this. It means to relish. It means to love. It means to adore. It means to take the the utmost joy. It means the thing that is just pure enjoyment for you. Is the thing that you delight over. God in the flesh could not wait to appear to Mary. Couldn't wait. It almost seems like there's a playfulness even to this story. There's a playfulness. There is something that's going on in this story that Jesus doesn't just come out. She thinks He's the gardener. One commentator said, because He's probably doing some type of gardening within the cemetery. One co- and he goes on to say, is probably because- is Jesus showing that the resurrection, this... In the Garden of Eden is where we fell. In the Garden of Eden is where everything went, uh, went awry and the, the brokenness in this world. And what is He doing? He's resurrected. The very first thing He's doing is He's tending a garden? Why else would you think He's a gardener? Woman, well, I Why are you crying? And then He said, Mary... When you really know someone, you know exactly what their voice sounds like when they say your name. Could you think of anything sweeter in the world that just three days ago, the most wonderful man and her Savior and her Lord was crucified before her very eyes that she heard her name being called again by His voice? What does that mean for you? Do you know that Jesus delights in you personally? You. You are not a face in the crowd. You are not a number to him. Second thing it means is that he gives us hope. What did he do for her? He not only delights in her, but he gives her a hope real hope and hope is not like an american hope which is sort of a disney hope my family loves disney uh, i don't know yeah we like disney but but disney hope is a wish right when we hear when you hear the word hope you think oh it's hope i'm i'm gonna hope or you i hope something happens like i wish it happens that's not new testament hope that's not what this is hope in the new testament is something that is rooted in true and something that is in space time and history Something, our hope is rooted in the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where death was brought to an end once and for all, and sin was ruined because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he gives her hope. What kind of hope? He's going to make everything new. Everything new. And it means that God loves to restore things. He lo- There's something about our God that likes to create things, but not only just create things, He likes to recreate things. He loves to restore things. He loves to fix broken things. That's what He likes to do. Are you broken today? Is your family broken? There are things about yourself that you look and say, how long, Lord, will I struggle with this? How long will we live in a world like this? The plan of God is not just to save you from your sins and save you from the penalty of your sins and take you to heaven so you can live on a cloud and pluck a heart forever. That's not what this plan is about. The plan is to absolutely renovate the entire cosmos through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and to bring heaven to the earth and fix everything and make it more glorious than it ever was. That's the plan of God. And we see it right here in this story. He calls her and he says, I'm ascending to my Father. To my father and to your father. Go tell my brothers. My brothers. The brothers. Who are the brothers? The disciples. What did the disciples do just three days before? They all betrayed him and denied him. And he calls them brothers? That means, you, folks, you cannot outrun the love of God. You can't do it. Mary, go tell my brothers. Tell them I'm alive. Go tell my brothers. Can you imagine what that, what did that sound like to them? Brothers? I'm a brother? Jesus called me brother. I'm a betrayer. I'm a brother. He loves to fix broken things. Uh, we had a, we had a, we lived in Cleveland, Mississippi, uh, like the Ootens did too. Uh, But after they did, we lived in Cleveland, Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta, and one of our neighbors was a guy named Homer Ballard. He was a World War II veteran, old school guy, who could sort of fix anything, grew up in the Great Depression, that whole bit, where they didn't throw anything away, saved like butter dishes and stuff like that, like my grandmother. And one time I broke a rake. I broke a rake. I don't. I, I don't. You. I can break anything. I broke like a rake, and I just put it on the. I just put it on the curb. Cause the trash gonna get it. It's like a break a rake. And I'm in my house, and I see Homer Ballard sort of looking over there, and he's looking at looking at my picks the rake up, and just kind of looking at it and going, "What in the world?" And so I see him. I say, like, "What?" I look and I say, "What is my wife? What is Homer doing my rake?" Because he likes garbage. A little later on that day, my back doorstep, the rake was fixed. Later on, I broke a sprinkler. Yes, how do you break a sprinkler? I did. I broke a sprinkler. He fixes the sprinkler. I was thinking, there's something about this man. He loves to find things that are broken. I, thought I went to his workshop one time. It's just full of things that he'd found and fixed. Your God is like that. Do you ever feel like you're thrown out on the curb? You ever feel like Mary Magdalene? You ever feel totally overwhelmed by the, your circumstances, by, by your sin, by your failures, by your past? There's, there's no way that God can, can I, all the things I've done, and the things I've seen, the things I've experienced, and the things there's no possible way where well, you're so wrong. Because Jesus Christ has come into this world to give you hope. As one, John Calvin once said that Jesus went down below Mary's hell so he could lift her to heaven. So what? We'll close with this. What do we do with this? First, how do you experience the friendship of Jesus? How do you ex- how does one experience the friendship of Jesus? the first thing is you stop trying to impress Him. You cannot relate to Jesus apart from your greatest need and desperation. Jesus will not come to you on any other terms. He will only come to the most broken parts of you and to places of your greatest need. And some of you buried those for 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50 years some of the deepest hurts and the deepest wounds and the things that you're most ashamed of and the things that you think are the dirtiest and you've tried to erase them with alcohol. You've tried to erase them with work. You've tried to erase all these different things with your performance. Some of you have outperformed every single person in this room and you still feel like a worthless human being no matter how big and pretty your smile is. The only prayers that Jesus listened to in the first century when he was walking on this earth was help. It's the only time he stopped. He hated big prayers like, God, thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you that I'm not like my sister. Thank you that I'm not like my brother. Lord, thank you that I'm a Republican. Thank you that I'm a Democrat. Thank you that I'm this. Thank you that I'm that. Thank you, Lord, that I've got my life together. He'd never listened to that. In fact, God's at war with those kind of prayers. He hates them. He despises them with the with the hatred of hell. So how do you become? How do you experience the friendship of Jesus? Where are you most like Mary from Magdala? Where where in your life are you most at the end of your rope? What's the grossest thing about you? What is the darkest part of Your experience, what is, what is something that you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you cannot overcome? You cannot deal with it. What are the things inside of you that are like that? What, what is that part of you? That is exactly, folks, listen to me. That is exactly, that is exactly the place where Jesus wants you to experience his healing. He's not interested in the phony you. In fact, he's at war with the phony you. He hates the phony you. He only wants the real you. Folks, I hear people over and over. I've been a pastor for 12 years. I was a pastor in a local church for eight and a half years in Memphis, Tennessee. And people would come to me and say, I want not feel close to Jesus. And these people had good theology. These were the prettiest people in Memphis. The smartest people. They all went to Vanderbilt. They all went to Washington and Lee. They all went to... These were the smartest, most... Gifted people, and they don't, I don't feel close to Jesus. I know the Westminster Confession of Faith backward and forth, but I don't feel close to Jesus. I don't feel like I love Jesus. I don't feel like I adore Jesus. I adore a lot of things. I don't feel like he loves me. And here's what I say to them Jesus is close to you, you're not close to you. And what I mean by that is you want Jesus to only come to you in your strength, like everybody else does. And Jesus will only come to you in your weakness. And that's really scary and really offensive. And how dare a guest preacher come and say something like that and I get back in my car and drive off. And I'm just telling you this, you cannot experience the true friendship. You can know a lot about Jesus in your strength, but you cannot know Jesus in your strength. Only in your weakness. Only in your need. Moms, you've got to see a lot of babies around here. 2 a.m. in the morning, you're ready to cash it in. And the anger and the hurt and the sense of failure and condemnation that we feel as parents. Meet Jesus in those prayers when all you can say is help, help, help. Jesus said, you can only come to me with prayers of help like a child. If you do not come to me like a child with just need, then you will not come into the kingdom at all. And here's the second thing, and I'll close with this. How do we become friends like Jesus? Because that's really what Christ Presbyterian Church is called to do in this town, in this city. I'm sorry, I called it a town. It's a city. How, how? Because that's really what you're called to do. You're called to bring this message that Jesus Christ is our brother and our shepherd and our friend and our prophet and our priest and our king. You are called to be friends like Jesus in the world. To proclaim this gospel in word and in deed to love people like. How do you do that? First thing is you can't be a friend like Jesus unless Jesus is your friend. You can't because you're selling something you don't have. Does that make sense? One of the reasons that many of us don't like doing evangelism or talking to people like Jesus is because you don't know Jesus. That's one of the reasons is you know about Jesus. But when Jesus becomes a someone who moved in the deepest, darkest places of your heart, and He delights in you, and He loves you, then you can't help but talk about Jesus. You won't shut up about Him. It becomes natural. And those times when we start talking to Christ as though He's really there, as we start confessing our sins to Christ and to one another, that we have to experience the friendship of Jesus, that's why he gave the Holy Spirit. Do you know that Jesus Christ, the, he, told, he tells the disciples, when after his resurrection, before his ascension, he said, "Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit come upon you." He says this in the early chapter of Acts. Don't, y'all, don't go anywhere. Don't say anything. Stay here in Jerusalem. And they go back to the upper room, the very place where John put his, puts his head against the, 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 the. Just he goes back to the upper room where they had the Last Supper, and they wait and they wait and wait. Until the day at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down in a unique, one-time way. Boom! And they start speaking in all the different languages. The Holy Spirit comes. Jesus ascended so that He could send His Holy Spirit. Jesus, the human being, cannot be at all places at one time. He's a human. But His Spirit can. That's why we say Jesus is in me. is because the Spirit comes from the Father and from the Son. The Spirit is God. And so what is the Spirit like? The Spirit longs to move to Mary Magdalene's. That's all He does. He's looking for them all around you, waiting to get out. It reminds me of when I was a little boy. I'm from Arkansas. I know you can probably tell the accent. But I'm from Arkansas, and we used to go see my grandparents in Magnolia, Arkansas. We had one of these old school vans, one of the big old vans back in remember the 80s with the big door on it and weighed like three tons, right? We would drive down to Magnolia and we had our cousins down there waiting for us. My grandparents had this long driveway. We would drive down there every time it seemed like, especially in the summertime. Once we started down that driveway, we'd see our cousins coming to us and they'd want to see us and we would stand up in that van. We weren't really using seatbelts back then. And we would stick our faces up against the window because we couldn't wait to get out to play because we are going to get on the go-kart. We were going to go live and live in my grandparents' farm and we are going to spread our wings the whole weekend. We couldn't wait to get out and play and play. couldn't wait to get out and bust out of that place as our faces were pressed against the windows. Folks, everywhere you go in your home, if you're a believer of Jesus and have the Spirit living in you, everywhere you go, the coffee shop and at work and everywhere you go the spirit has his face pressed up against the window waiting to bust out of you so that you can love the broken people around you it's not you it's not me it's Jesus through us the kind of Jesus that says Mary Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would bless us now. Where there is no faith, that you would give faith. Lord, thank you for these people. Lord, I just ask that you would present yourself to them, make yourself real to them. We ask that you would do it for your glory and for the good of these people. Amen.